Welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. And good morning, good Saturday, a little nip chippy uh in the in the weather a little bit chippy nippy all those things in the morning uh just right above uh, freezing this morning so realize we are now in the fall deeply heading toward winter uh we have phone lines to talk about this and anything around getting your home ready for the chilly temperatures and the holidays right around the corner yes we are in almost the middle of november we're sneaking up a couple weeks before thanksgiving into some of the high holidays onto christmas So we've got a lot of things coming in our social lives that all wind up around the house. Uh, So this is Scott Mosby. I am with you two hours today. Cam Wax Home Improvement Show. Everything about your home. Bring it on. Bring it in. Ask questions. I'll offer the best answers I can. If I don't have the direct answer, I don't really know exactly what it is. I know the concepts around it, the laws of physics. I've had enough experience over the last oh half century in this uh, remodeling industry that I kind of know what the topics are. I may not know exactly how. Uh, I describe myself as I know a little about a lot of things. So I've got broad knowledge not necessarily depth specifics, not a real specialist in a lot of things. So I know, understand a little bit about electrical and grounding and ducting and heating and cooling, fluid dynamics for both water and air, how those things are affected by 90 degree elbows, little things and how it relates to everyday things like you and I on our dryer vents, getting the lint cleaned out of our dryer vents. As we get into the colder temperatures, we're going to start laundering more and heavier clothing which results in more lint in those uh, dryers. So please, I ask you, as do the firefighters in the listening area here, uh, please clean out your lint traps, uh, blow out those uh, lint ducts, so anything that uh, you can do to get rid of those flammable fibers left over from your dryer, whether it's gas or electric dryer, matters not. The point being that all those things contribute to a safer, healthier house. Uh, Likewise, Uh, taping and sealing any ductwork so how long a run you've got from the dryer to the exterior of the house some in the basement sometimes the dryers in the middle of the house it might be 15 20 feet where it goes through a wall down 90 degrees out toward the exterior of the house might move around uh, some in in, you know pipes and things in the floor joists well you know the longer that run is and the longer time or distance you have before that exhaust pipe exits the house the more opportunity, and I promise you, the more buildup that lint will have inside that ductwork. The ductwork ideally should be galvanized steel, not the shiny aluminum stuff. Aluminum stuff has a melting point too low that if there is a lint fire, the galvanized steel stuff, like your ductwork made on your furnace, so any of that stuff that has that mottled kind of um, galvanized irregular nickel finish on it, that is uh, usually what's called galvanized steel or sheet metal sheet steel, uh, and that's an appropriate material. That will confine the fire long enough to give the fire department enough time. Uh, as it gets and relates to fire code and fire um, practices around building homes and protecting them, the concept is that we really can't stop fires, but we can slow them down, we can control the spread, and we can lengthen the, the time 
time that it takes for fire to become a real problem. You know, you get a little bit in an electrical box or in some part of the house. And as long as we build the house fire block, fire stop, it can find that in some sort of an enclosure, then that fire won't spread and it gives the fire department time to respond, set up, and react to that fire. So that's kind of how it happens in my world. My name is Scott Mosby. I own Mosby Building Arts, uh, founded in 1947 by my father, Sam Mosby. We're in our third generation of uh, this business, and uh, it it continues to uh, um, be fun, frankly. Uh, We work uh, with creative people. Uh, Our clients are some of the most interesting folks I've ever met uh, from all walks of life. We do small projects to big projects, all of which have different challenges, but it's all problem solving. Uh, So it's kind of a fun place. I I work with uh, creative architects, kitchen designers, bathroom designers, what's called mobility or aging in place people. How do we make homes accessible? How can we build those features into our normal everyday remodeling projects that you don't really realize it is just a little friendlier, easier, more convenient way to be around the home when you have guests that have limited mobil- mobilities, uh, and, and every day, I promise you, anybody listening, every day we're one year older, or one day older, and, and our abilities change. Then there's some sort of an occurrence occasionally that can happen, and we wind up, you know, round in second base, blow out a knee, whatever it is, and now all of a sudden we're infirmed on the first floor looking for a bathroom and a shower. All those things that affect um accessibility around the home. So anyway, I I like uh, Mosby Building Arts because I work with creatives. I work with very practical engineering like mine's production team. Our kind of claim to fame is uh, whatever it takes to build a residential structure, that's what we have as far as our building resources. Um, And uh, frankly, uh, we've been at it long enough that uh, we've messed things up so many different ways. We now have a glimpse at the right way to get things done or the optimal way because sometimes there are conflictions uh, between uh, what's designed uh, because that's the desire Uh, what can be built with the technology, the lumber, the fasteners, the materials we have, and then how we then play in all our partners, which might be uh, structural review, plan review, permitting process, then to fire uh, permitting as we put in fire blocks, fire stops, try and control draft stops, try, you know, how fast air moves through a structure, which means how quickly a fire might spread in the event of uh, uh, a fire. All those things factor. Then you go into the windows and the doors. How do I get out of this thing if there's some sort of an occurrence? Um, and frankly, you know, if I just want to yell at the dog in the backyard, can I easily open my back window and scream through the screen, hey, get out of there, quit you know, get out of my trash can, whatever it is. Uh, So just the convenience and everyday planning for what I would describe as normal life. Uh, 314-436-7900 puts us together. Please give me a call. Let's get this thing rolling. 314-436-7900. We're going to talk a little bit about heating and cooling methods, uh, the types of heating and cooling systems available to you. Uh, uh, A little bit more about uh, solar and some of the renewables and how that plays into the heating and cooling things here in Missouri and in Illinois where, you know, 
know, broadcasting our towers in southern Illinois, so we have a good footprint around Illinois, uh, Kentucky, uh, and even the other direction up to Iowa and, you know, Kansas and such. 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. As we go into this hour and get into the second hour, I've got a uh, an announcement, something uh, pretty big for those of you that are regular listeners. You might want to stick around. It's uh, hour two here on KMOX, uh, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. My name is Scott Mosby. This is KMOX. I am joyed and thrilled to be here with you on the University of KMOX, as I've dubbed it many years ago. Uh, so uh, I'm here to help you. Uh, give me a call. And frankly, as chilly as it is, I know you do-it-yourselfers out there getting ready, you know, hanging that towel bar. Oh, yeah, changing out that electrical outlet where that fo- the plug just keeps falling out of the wall. Uh, maybe uh, the light switch that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Maybe changing that out. Whether you uh, had diminished flow in the faucets in your bathroom, your kitchen, those uh, diffusers and aerators on the end of the spouts, or just general goblins and ghosts that you have, noises coming from your home that are just inevitable. You know, every day that I get older, I stand up and I make new noises. Holy smokes, was that my knee? Well, how about that? The house is exactly the same. The house has a spine. It's a wood framing or masonry structure, but it does have a structure. It does have a personality, and I assure you with the changing weather, temperatures, and humidities in the St. Louis area here, it moves, and sometimes begrudgingly, sometimes where you want it, sometimes where you don't. 314-436-7900. My name is Scott Mosby. This is KMOX. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, indeed. This is beautiful Saturday morning, KMOX, 314-436-7900, I've promised over the uh, years and months really to follow the lumber futures price, so kind of how how that, I use that as a temperature, just a measurement of how heated up or not the construction industry is, specifically remodeling for me, but for you, just general housing. As you go to the lumber yard or the home center, uh, basically what lumber costs, and they're they're sold in futures. So when we're talking, this is kind of a financial security thing. So what it takes for me to commit to buy 1,000 board feet or what's called a bunk or 1,000 board feet uh, of lumber. So that is 1,000 pieces of 12 inches by 12 inch by 1 inch thick boards of whatever uh, typically uh, white pine or yellow pine as it's quoted here but it's for January so this is for me to buy this lumber two months in the future well it's a measurement kind of like the stock market goes up and down on optimism and pessimism anyway uh, uh, we're about $535 per thousand or 53 and a half cents per board foot so every one by 12 one feet long or one foot long is 53 and a half cents. So you buy a board 10 feet long, you know, one by 12 that is 10 feet long, usually dressed so it's smooth on, on uh, all four sides, what's called S4, S surfaced four sides. So in lingo of uh, ordering lumber and forestry, S4S surfaced four sides. So that board for delivery in January, 10 feet long would be about $5.35 
wholesale. Now that doesn't mean that's, you know, after they ship it to the lumber yard, the lumber yard handles it, unbunks it, handles it, puts it on a truck, ships it to your job site or your house or sells it to you out on the floor, whatever it is, it's going to be more than that. But this is the wholesale high price. Really, uh, in June of um, this year, June of 23, the price was $510 per thousand square feet. So it's been pretty stable, but it has been inching up. September was 535. Later in September, back down to 504. Now it's up to 535 for January, which is four months after that September time. So it's for that. Anyway, the temperature, the pulse the frothiness or lack thereof, we're about at what I would call the new normal, about $500 per thousand or 50 cents a board foot. Uh, So if you recall that, you know, two years ago when the pandemic hit, everything went kaflooey. We all thought we couldn't get any lumber. They shut down all the forestry services and the mills because of the pandemic threat for uh, health. Uh, Everything came crashing down on an economic basis. And then all of a sudden, people, since they were home, started buying remodeling and new homes because we were spending more time at home. Well, all of a sudden, the demand for lumber shot through the roof. And then people like me are thinking, I can't get this stuff anymore. I better buy all that I can well, so now we've got this artificial frothiness where contractors, builders, and developers are buying more lumber than they need to try and ensure that they have a supply for the next six months and they can keep going. Well, then prices just got obscenely high because uh, supply was uh, artificially low. And, you know, it just went, and, and that 535 that I just talked about was as high as $1,650 for that same one board foot uh, two years ago in the middle of the pandemic. So anyway, just kind of letting you know how that all shakes out. Uh, So we are in what I would call a reasonably stable market for construction, whether you're buying or building or building a doghouse, going to the store to buy whatever you need to put the shingles on the roof to whatever it is. Uh, Basically, we're kind of back down to what I would call the new normal. The normal before the pandemic was somewhere like, yeah, I would always look at these lumber futures and like $375 or 37 and a half cents. Now, since we've had all the difference in the forestry um, and uh, uh, import and duties and, and fees from nation to nation, you know, we're up to about $50 a board foot or $50 a percent or, or per board foot. Anyway, I think we're kind of back where this is going to stay put. Let's go to the phone lines here, uh, which is 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. And let's talk with my friend Sandra. Sandra, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Well, good morning. I'm calling you with another plumbing question. I called in a couple of weeks ago with a question about my toilet turning blue. Yeah, And you were very helpful. And what we ended up doing was just having the whole pipe redone. Yeah. Um, so we're circumventing the um, galvanized. Yeah. Yeah. And Good for it's, you. It's because beautiful. Yeah. Galvanized is yesterday's technology anyway. So yeah. and if you now don't have to, to worry gal- about anything leaking in the wall. And we've, yeah. I actually, it turns out that there is no underground um, grounding because that whole pipe was replaced from the well house. So who knows where it's coming from, but we got it fixed now. Oh, good for you. And, but I have another, and thank you for all your advice. It was very helpful. Um, yeah. And right now, the house was built in 52. There's two vents in the roof for plumbing. All the right. one in the kitchen, there's one pipe that goes up, and that was leaking for a while, but we got a cover on it. 
And so it might be rusted in there, but tell me if I'm wrong, but even if it's rusted, it's still working. The venting's working. Yeah. And we're yeah. not getting water in. So that's all good. Well, I can't, we go not getting water. I, I can't say you're not getting water in, but it's probably getting air into the plumbing system. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so far, the, the, the plaster has been fixed and it's not getting wrecked again. So we're okay. Yeah, good. Um, but um, now the bathroom is a different story. There's, um, there are three fixtures. There's a bathroom, a uh, sink, there's a tub, and a toilet. Okay. There is only one vent, up, vent pipe. Is that called a stack or what is that called? Yeah, right. It is. Okay. It is one, the so vent pipe slang for that is stack. Okay. Well, there's yeah. one of those. Um, that comes out. I don't think the house is venting correctly because if you run a lot of water upstairs in the bathtub or or whatever, and if you let it all drain at once, it seems to me like there's sewer gas in the basement. Not a lot, but you can tell. And okay. um, I had, a, it looks to me in the basement like what they did was they ran a pipe between one drain pipe going over to another as a way to kind of just make the, the, the air go that way. I don't think it's working 100%. And I had a plumber here when he was working on my um, sink. He told me, or my toilet, he said, you know, you could install another vent, but he said it would be a lot of trouble. You'd have to drill a hole in the wall. Well, mm -hmm. to me, that's not really that much trouble. I mean, if, and if it would make things better, I'd rather do it. But I wanted to get your advice. Uh, built in 1952, you will have cast iron plumbing, or you did when the house yes. was new. So yes. the pipes underneath the concrete floor in the basement are cast iron. Um, oh, there's now, nothing under the floor. Yeah, that's all good. You see it all? Yeah. Well, the it's issue is you know, that that's is... That's all copper. That's all copper now. Buried underneath your uh, concrete basement floor? No. There, no, it's all visible. It all runs right through the basement. Oh, sweet. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that helps me understand a bit. Um, uh, and... Cast iron, so you're 75 years past the old cast iron in your walls. Um, there were two qualities of cast iron back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Cast iron used to be the only stuff we did. Um, they Then in about the late 60s, they started making it thinner. Um, so what I'm talking about is how long it takes for that metal to rust out. The stuff down oh. in your basement, you can see, you can see the carbuncles, right. you can see all that stuff and you can smell it, you know, and all that. What doesn't show itself is what's up inside the wall. And believe it or mm -hmm. not, the pipes that take the longest time to rust are the horizontal ones that are going through your basement. The vertical ones going up in the air have water, humidity, heat and and uh, uh mm -hmm. oxygen so they rust faster than the stuff underneath the floor believe it or not sounds yeah, a little weird sense. but yeah so what i'm getting at is what i want you to do is uh go to the grocery store uh get some peppermint extract from the grocery aisle dollar two dollars doesn't matter how quality it is uh dump that in your toilet and flush it as quickly as possible because you're trying not to get the peppermint smell in it. You want that peppermint smell inside the pipes. 
Um, and I was I, I learned this 20 years ago from one of our listener plumbers called in and I'm telling him to do smoke bombs and all kinds of weird. He said, <laughs> man, go to the grocery store, buy some peppermint extract, flush it down the toilet. Believe me, you'll know whether you have a break in that pipe or not, you know. So mm-hmm. it's pretty clever. And that comes from this show. Uh, just dump some peppermint extract down there. And uh, what you're waiting for then is a smell of peppermint. You really shouldn't have much smell of peppermint other than what you generated when you dumped it in the toilet. Okay. If you smell peppermint, uh, generally you'll smell it in a room. Uh, so you'd smell it in that toilet. You might smell it in its toilet room. You might sweat, smell it in the basement. Uh, but generally, you won't smell it in a part of the house. Because what happens is the side of the pipe rusts out. It gets very thin, and it gets these long, what looks like a long, skinny crack in it. And that will be mm-hmm. in the wall. It'll be the vent. Um, and, you know, it, it makes your room stink, you know. So you may have something like that on a vertical pipe or at the floor line down in your basement. So just be suspicious on all this, but it's that peppermint smell that you're really looking for. If you don't have a peppermint smell, generally it's it's really not a break in the pipe or something. Now, down in the basement, I would make sure that any traps you have, like for the uh, uh, washer and dryer or any floor drain mm-hmm. you might have, uh, do you have mm-hmm. a sump pump that pumps up to that pipe for floor drains in your basement? No, no, it just nope. drains out. It's, it's in the country. So it okay. all just drains out. Yeah. Uh, so it goes out to a septic tank then too? Um, the toilet, the, the the bathroom fixtures do, but nothing else does. Okay. So you, okay. Um, well, how, when was the last time you had that septic tank pumped out? Not that long ago. I'm going to say five okay. or six years. And the time before that, it was like 15 and it was fine. So yeah, yeah that doesn't well, uh, Go to the store and get some Ridex and just dump it down your toilet. Uh, oh, and... I, yeah, don't, yeah, don't, yeah, that, we got that covered. Trust me. Cool, good, good. Yeah, we anyway, got that covered. I, 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 if anything, it's probably a split in your vent pipe. Uh, I, I, you, you may need a plumber because once you start smelling that peppermint, uh, you may start opening the walls to replace those pipes. The other thing that happens is when those vertical vent pipes are stacks. When those rust out, sometimes the inside layer of, of iron flaps over, so it might be mm. as thick as a piece of paper, and if it just flaps over that pipe, it can slow down oh, the okay. air move. So everything may be plumbed fine, other than the pipes mm-hmm. are just old and breached, you know, with some sort of a rust decay. So Is there a, would I see that, if I go up and look at the pipe in the attic, could I see any damage there? Not usually. Not usually. Okay. I've, I've tried that. It's you can stick down. a flashlight okay. down there and all that. The problem is, is it's inside of a wall and the wall is dark. So if you gotcha. could illuminate the area around the pipe, then you could go down there and look in that vent. But the other side is, is the vent pipe, the way these are plumbed is you've got a three or four inch pipe for the toilet. So right behind the toilet tank in that wall, within about 18 inches left or right, usually halfway between there and the lavatory sink, that pipe goes up through the roof and then uh, the tub or the shower will connect into it above that up in the attic, if you will. And then the uh, sink goes up. So you have three pipes or two, three pipes that all converge up in the attic and then go out through the roof. The problem is air moves easily. So the plumber, instead of having the pipe going straight up through the roof visible on the front of the house, might turn that 90 degrees or 45 and go up through the back half of the roof. So what I'm getting at is if you go up on the roof and look down through that pipe, it doesn't necessarily go straight down. 
Right. That's what happened in the kitchen. I didn't realize that the pipe has a bend and that's where the rusting was. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you're, you're just in the, you're in a target rich environment for rusted uh, vent pipes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I should put that on my resume. (laughs) Well, it's impressive. I mean, but you're not alone in St. Louis with this uh, house in the fifties. My father described them as built for stout. It's like yeah, they uh, heavy duty cast iron, good bricks, and you know strong concrete. So oh yeah, yeah, I had one of those houses in Holly Hills once. Yeah, but um, I I shutter. I took it took me all summer. It got to be a running joke in town. It took me all summer to get a doorknob fixed. <laughs> yeah, the good um, news is is they're so, really well built. The bad news is is they're really well built. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, I appreciate your help. Sure, it's been fun. Thanks will, for the call. I will follow your advice. Yeah, just kind of follow your nose, Sandra, with what we've discussed today. You're really just going to have to figure it out. If you pay a plumber $200 an hour, he's going to figure out or she's going to figure out the same path process that you're going through. So it's kind of, you know, sometimes you're more powerful because you aren't limited by what you think you know. You just, you know, don't know enough to not look anyway. So, Right. I couldn't get a doorknob fixed, but I, could, I might be able to figure this out. So. <laughs> Doorknobs are higher math. Don't count, you know, don't sell yourself well, short. So and, I, and here again, I told the handyman, I said, can you imagine trying to re- rehab an old house? I wanted to retain the old glass knob. Couldn't do it. I mean, you cannot get the right pieces to fit. You oh, know, it's I, just... Yeah, I had a carpenter years ago uh, who had, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many. He had a PhD and several other masters. He had more college degrees than you could imagine. He was just a fabulous carpenter. He eventually left and went into historic restoration for the U.S. government because he, wow. he just couldn't stop himself from loving it. He just loved that stuff. So Yeah, it's anyway. an art. It's an art. Well, I really yeah. appreciate it. You take care and have an excellent day. All right, Sandra. Bye-bye. Happy Veterans Day, too. Thanks. You too. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, to all you veterans, all you people who have kept me safe, uh, kept me out of harm's way, um, hauled me to the hospital, uh, fixed me up in an emergency room, uh, all the folks that really uh, fought for our country, our independence, and uh, I thank you uh, sincerely. Um, I'm the son of a veteran. And I'm grateful for that. I know what that meant and took in the stories and, uh, frankly, very actively uh, serving veterans in, in, in my life today and all sorts of ways that, that I can muster. So my hat's off to every veteran. Thank you for your service. Thank you for my independence, my safety, and God bless you all. Uh, Scott Mosby here on KMOX, uh, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. All right, back together, Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. We have uh, wrapping up the first hour here. We've got an hour and a half, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. Next up on the phone lines, as I promised, is my friend Elias. Elias, Scott Mosby here. Good morning. How can I help? Good morning, uh, Scott. We just yes, finished uh, pouring the concrete under a canopy, like um, uh, 47 inches uh, length and uh, 15 inch uh, feet, I'm sorry, feet wide. When okay. is the best time uh, to uh, seal uh, the concrete? Uh, is this a smooth finish, uh, concrete on the front porch, kind of? Yeah, but uh, make it a little rough, you know, if you walk yeah, okay. uh, in, yeah. in wintertime, you cannot slip or fell, you know. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you have a moisture or a water-based sealer, you have to know this. A water-based sealer, typically you wait about 30 days, and then the moisture left in the concrete. At about 30 days, that concrete is about 95% cured or 90% cured, so it's about as hard as it's going to get for a while. Uh, but it's still off-gassing moisture. Um, so then you can do it, you know, a month from now. The temperature is important. So if you get, you know, a month from now, the high temperature might be 50 degrees. That's too cold um, yeah. because it, it might gum up. If uh, My advice is if since it's underneath a canopy and covered, uh, keep the leaves off it this winter and seal it next spring. That would be my advice because the issue is some parts of that concrete are wetter than others or less cured. So over in that corner, there may be more moisture than out here in the middle where the sun gets to it. So you have different colors of concrete. In that first month, you don't really get that whole concrete slab into one color, one level of curing, uh, and, and therefore a consistent color. So whatever you seal, you're going to seal in. So if you were to seal it today, your dark spots would stay dark and your lighter spots would stay light. And that's kind of what you get. So you leave it alone for at least a month. If you're using a water-based sealer, then you can seal it after a month. It the, Actually, the water does better in the colder temperatures because if you use something you know like a silicone-based concrete or masonry sealer, uh, then it kind of has an oil base and it just turns into a sludge like an oily grease kind of. So my advice is leave it alone till next spring, give it a good bath next spring, let it dry out a good bit and then seal it uh, when it dries out next spring or summer. Yeah. Okay. My second, uh, my second question is I told the contractor to make it uh, smooth uh, with the asphalt because for the handicapped, yeah. But in the end, uh, he left like four inches lip, okay? How can uh, uh, treat that to put asphalt, you know, next to the concrete, you know, just to uh, make it like, like a ramp for the handicapped? Uh, well, it takes a lot of asphalt to do that is the problem uh, because uh, mm. four inches is basically ideally the, the smallest patch you would have would be four feet long so that your one inch vertical rise per foot. You see what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's not even sometimes four inches when it go, you know, like a slope will be, you know, like two inches. But uh, anyway, wow. and I, I, uh, I told him uh, before, you know, the contract uh, as well, but the man left the company and the contract uh, don't honor yeah. the, you know, his, you know, his contract. So, yeah, his his communication never got to the construction crew, so they did a great job. Yeah, just not, yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, um, I I call uh, you know uh, um, a concrete asphalt company, but he said, yeah, this problem with the you know with this uh, lip or four inches uh, high. Uh, so anyway, well, I'll, be, I'll be how how far back from the asphalt is there an expansion joint here, Elias? How, like four feet or five feet or something like that? Um, about yeah, about four feet. Yeah, yeah right. Were it were it mine, um, I would ask that that last four foot section of concrete gets sawn at that joint, and then a sloped ramp uh, in that last four feet to go down and resolve to the asphalt. 
And now here you have to think through when you're going to resurface that asphalt driveway because if you're thinking of doing that in a year or two, you might want to, um, you know, let the asphalt fix this, you know, four-inch problem. But one way is to slope the concrete down to the asphalt. The other way is to build the asphalt up to the concrete. Uh, the easiest thing is you're working with a concrete guy. He knows concrete. He understands all this. My my request would be to you know, remove that four-foot section and pour a sloped four-foot-wide yeah. slot, you know, down there. Yeah, this is what I'm going, you know, to tell him. It just cut it, you know, and make it yeah. even, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's a big ask it. for us. It's a big ask for a small job, but it was still his job to get it right on the communication level, not yours. So again, yeah, it might. Yeah, it, this is this is the kind of thing it might take two or three weeks to fix because he's got to wait until he has a small left, a, con, a chunk of concrete left, in a job nearby where he can come over and put that small chunk of concrete. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You see, because both sides is asphalt and now is cracked. So, yeah. so why I said the guy, you know, you have uh, the company is asphalt and concrete. So meanwhile, oh, wow. he can put the asphalt before the water goes under the concrete. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they do asphalt and concrete, I give him the choice of how. How do you want to fix it? What you know, fix it. You know, but it's you know that's a good advantage. Mm. So whether it's concrete or asphalt, just make it resolve. He can, you know, yeah. work with him. We've been that. communicated through the email, but uh, I wrote him. I said, well. Uh, I would like to make a deal or thing face to face, you see, and tell yeah. me what what you go on, you know, to do. So, yeah. okay, agreed. All right. Well, thank I'm you with you there, much. Elias. Yeah, because I asked the contractor. Oh, he said you can seal it uh, next day. I said baloney, and then I, he came back, you know, to cut the thing to put the uh, cork things. But uh, he said no, you can fix it after a month. I said no, yeah. it's not true. Yeah, yeah. Ideal. Generally, it's after a month. My advice is because of the weather and the temperature, you're you know you're you're better off just going through till winter, through the spring. All right. Okay. Elias, thanks for the call, my friend. Good day, Scott. All right. Bye now. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement. Take a short pause and come back for more after this. All right, back together, Home Improvement. Scott Mosby right here at your service, wrapping up Hour 1. Stay tuned. We've got news, weather, and sports, top of the hour. Newsflash, folks, with your X, we actually have a newsroom. We don't regurgitate stuff. We pick up on wherever. We actually have news people that do news. Yeah. Right, yeah, imagine that. 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. Uh, we're going to be around for hour two. Stay tuned. Uh, one o'clock following this show, uh, we have uh, your retirement professor, professionals, as we do one o'clock normally every week. Also, two o'clock, the business of family business, and now Billiken basketball coming on later on tonight, right here on KMX. Right now, let's go talk to my friend Lawrence. Lawrence, good morning. Welcome. How can I help, my friend? Uh, I would like to know whether you recommend uh, under underlayment for for shingles, the uh, vinyl or the uh, conventional. Um, Frank, uh, first off, um, your everybody the shingles are good; they do their thing, but they're pretty much a weather barrier. The real waterproof stuff, in my mind, the real workhorse of a roof is the underlayment. So. Typically, I buy the best underlayment I can get. I buy it as thick as I can afford. So uh, if if you have damage to your roof shingle, 
Um, all that you have it now keeping the water out of your house is the underlayment. So typically I like the new technology, the composite um, underlayment that is usually two to three times the cost of your normal felt base, um, you know, f- uh, paper. You and I might remember it as tar paper. It's now much, much, much more than that. Even the felt base products are five times better than they were 50 years ago. But I, I'm a, I, I'm very bullish. I'm very aggressive. I like good underlayments because they're my insurance. So the roof cost and labor, most of that goes into the shingles. Well, most of the water shedding ability comes from that underlayment. So I'm apt to spend more on that underlayment than I will on a lesser quality. So I'm, I, I advise get as good an underlayment as you can handle. So you're, you're, you're talking about the vinyl then. Well, it's not really a vinyl. It's like a vinyl. It's a plastic-type material, but it, it's got all kinds of stuff in it. Uh, but, yeah, so basically, uh, yeah, I, I buy, I, I t- you know, although in some typical, uh, on a steep roof, it really doesn't matter. The water's going to go shooting down that roof on a steep roof. But on anything like a 4 and 12 or 5 and 12, a standard slope roof, I'm going to use one of the new technology um, boral or, you know, uh, products that y- 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 when you're building a, com- a, a, a commercial structure, uh, typically you don't see a felt type product on that product on that building. You, you, you see all these membranes because they're specified by architects, people that go to school to figure that out. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm an artificial membrane guy there. Okay, Scott, that answers my question. Thank you very much. All right, Lawrence, you can't buy better insurance for the few bucks you're going to spend on a on an under better underlayment. It's it's a cheap date for a lot of performance. Scott Mosby Home Improvement CamoX. Welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, lunchtime, top of the hour. It is noon, KMOX Home Improvement Show right here. My name is Scott Mosby. One more hour, and uh, it's been fun uh, throughout the uh, radio show today. I enjoy the questions and the answers. I really like to help, and uh, we will continue more of the same. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. My name is Scott Mosby. I own Mosby Building Arts. We were founded in 1940. Forty-seven. Uh, we pretty much have uh, every trade uh, that you can imagine uh, necessary to build a residential structure. We are architects. We are designers. We're a construction company to do that. We have the designers and uh, uh, very involved in the product selection. So, uh, you know, where do you start? Well, we're kind of the whole company is designed to be you start with us and you finish with us. That's kind of the idea. Design build because uh, my father started the design build back in the 70s for this company. It was a kind of a thing that um, when you have uh, an architect that draws the plans. You have a very talented person that puts together the drawing and the and the vision, and there's a lot of communication that exchanges back and forth between the customer. You know whether it's a city or a uh, commercial building or whether it's a homeowner for a remodeling project. And then once you have all of that relationship built, then you go out and you find a contractor on a bidding process, and the contractor never heard any of that stuff. So all they know is what's on the 
the plans. So then it becomes just, uh, I'm going to build what's on the plan. Well, maybe that's not, maybe what's on the plans is a compromise of what the homeowner really wanted. Maybe there's another way. So long and the short of it is my dad decided, you know, I think I want to be at that table uh, with the architect. He worked with very talented architects, so he'd be involved in those meetings early on so they could really kind of tell him, you know, he had all the need to know information on the plans, but it's the nice to know information. And I, uh, I describe it as, uh, you know, the sheet music is the same, uh, whether Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops are playing the national anthem or if Roseanne Barr is singing uh, at a baseball game. It's all the same plans and specifications. The interpretation is very different, and the team that is brought to perform that set of drawings is very different. So whether you hear Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops or Roseanne Barr with uh, her own version of what that is, again, maybe you don't know it. You can find that out. It certainly is on the Internet. My point being that having a really good set of plans only communicates about half of what the homeowner really wants. So we got involved with my father years ago in the 70s. We've been design build now for the last 50 years and really like it because we know what's important to the homeowners. Uh, and, and, you know, so we can make decisions. For example, um, you know, our, our kitchen designers might say, are you left-handed or right-handed? Why do you care? It's like, well, it helps me decide which bowl the disposal might go on or which side of the kitchen sink your dishwasher. If you're left-handed, we typically put the dishwasher or try to in the design on the left side of that kitchen sink. Right-handed would be right-handed of the kitchen uh, sink. And little things like that that don't really matter until four years later where you've been bending over all the way across that dishwasher. It's like, gosh, I wish that dishwasher was on the other side. So those are the little nice-to-know things that Design Build allows us to know. Sometimes we can't design it in because of restrictions in the house itself or budget restrictions. We can't really move things or change things as, as much as maybe uh, might facilitate that. But that's why we do what we do. A 314-436-7900, 314 uh, as I promised in uh, the first part of the first hour, uh, I, I, I would have an announcement. Uh, if, many of you know Rich Orris, who fills in for me when uh, I'm traveling and taking personal time away from CAMWEX. I've been doing this CAMWEX Home Improvement Show now since 1995. My official hire date uh, is two years after that with uh, CAMWEX at the time was CBS. And I was brought in a couple of years after Robert Highland. Um, and and I was the new Mr. Tinker. Uh, so when we had Central Hardware and Central Hardware went away, uh, and then that Mr. Tinker did the show for the next couple of years, then they went out to find me. I was one of seven people, and I started in 1995. I've been on the show now for 28 years. Um, and I'm going to step back. So Rich Orris, who does uh, actually right now is on the air on KFTK down the hall from me here in the uh, um, uh, studio, uh, he will come in and do the KMOX Home Improvement Show starting the first of the year, January 1, 2024. Rich has been on the air for eight years. Uh, right at home with Rich is KFTA. KFTK's show so many of you are familiar with Rich he comes in here what we're going to do uh, and uh, this is how KMOX has uh, set this up Rich Orris will broadcast on KMOX 
and we will simulcast on KFTK. Uh, so basically, you get Rich Horse. I will still stick around. I love KMOX. This has been a wonderful thing for me. Uh, just I, I like to help. This is a way to keep my father alive and honor him. He's long past, but the the experience and knowledge that he has shared with me, I'm able to help you. Rich Horse is the same uh, person. Uh, I've had the honor to work with him for 22 years at Mosby Building Arts. So uh, um, uh, I'm a little bit awestruck that um, uh, Rich uh, will take on that commitment. Uh, anyway, long and the short of it is, uh, after the first of the year, you will hear me occasionally, not quite as regularly. Uh, next up, let's go see my friend Sherry. Hey, Sherry, good afternoon. Welcome to Lunchtime on KMOX. How can I help? Good afternoon, Scott. And I just want to say we'll miss you, but Rich does a good job, too. So, but my question is, I have walls that seem to sweat. This is a 1940s bungalow brick house, and my oh, yeah. bathroom walls and my kitchen walls have sweat streaks down it. I don't know. I Googled it, and I get conflicting answers. One that says it's a cheap paint. Another one says I need to get an exhaust, uh, exhaust fan and, uh, put in. What is it? Uh, it is perspiration. Yeah, it, it, you're not alone. Uh, frankly, we are a brick town. It's one of the coolest things that I love about St. Louis. We're a masonry town. We have some of the most beautiful brick. We have solid sure. brick structures. You live in a cave. So you have a brick exterior wall. You have a masonry center, and you have hard plaster on it. Basically, it's one big chunk of masonry, and it's not very well insulated. So sure. it gets cold. And, you know, like now, today, that last night, it got cold enough. So it's it's like a glass of iced tea in the middle of the summer where, you know, the the uh, the moisture on the inside is so cold that the sweat droplets, you would think that the glass is is leaking. It's sweating. Well, it's leak. Well, it's not leaking. It's the dew point. Um, you know, like Mike Murray on TV, uh, that the dew point is reached because you've got warm, moist walls on the inside, probably bathroom, kitchen from, you know, boiling and cooking. So you've got warm, moist steam in the bathroom and, and likewise the same from cooking in your kitchen. And it hits that cold surface and that, you know, that water vapor turns instantly into water droplets. So Mm -hmm. there's really nothing wrong other than the dew point gets hit. Um, you know, crosses the high humidity and cold temperature, uh, really, which you hear about on the weather forecast all the time. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, the point is you either warm up that exterior wall, um, which is hard to do. You either turn up the thermostat, so you spend a whole bunch of money to make that wall warmer, uh, or you drop the humidity, which is a dehumidifier, or you can insulate it. If you If you were to hang, say, a coat on that wall, uh, when you and all that wall got uh, covered with droplets, you would pull the coat off the wall. There'd be no droplets behind that because no warm, moist air touched that plaster. Hmm. Yeah, and it's very common because sometimes we have uh, towels that hang on that exterior wall. Put put the take the towel off after a shower and like that wall's dry. How you know that's the one part in my bathroom that is dry, and it's it's just condensation. So just basically keep washing the walls down and just live with it. Yeah, it's your paint. You know, you can't do anything to that surface other than insulate it. You can put, if you carpeted that wall, it would stop. You know, it's like putting a koozie on your iced tea glass. Mm-hmm. You know, you just insulated that so that warm, moist air is never going to touch that cold, moist, or that cold wall surface. So it's just, uh, you know, that's the way these uh, 
brick buildings were built and over the and this is that building technology i'm talking about uh you know a brick house now is built of a frame and brick veneer and that's so they can get four inches of insulation behind that brick so you have a warm wall on the inside with brick on the outside and now you don't have that condensation problem because you have a thermal break that brick outside is still as cold as on your house that cold just never gets to the plaster or drywall on the inside of the house now okay yeah, no foul, no game. It just, you know, it's old building technology, and, um, you know, it's it, it happened 100 years ago, if that's how old your house is or 50 or whatever. It just is what it is. Yes, it was a 1940s house. So what yep. kind of paint should I use because I want to repaint it? Uh, well, uh, putting a an oil paint on plaster um, it sounds like a good idea, but you have to make sure you've sealed it well with a good shellac primer. So any kind of paint, that, but the ones that will be more reactive to that water is latex. So I'd try and stay away from the latex. I would prefer an oil-based paint. The problem is, 1940s, you probably have 15 coats of paint on that wall. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> you know. Every you know just because you can, uh, so you really have to get a shellac primer, something that is not oil based, something that is not water based. Shellac is alcohol solvent material, and that's what goes on behind uh, the old wallpaper. So that would seal all the stuff over, and then you can put oil based paint over that shellac primer. So find a good uh, quality paint store. And go there and tell them this story and tell them this crazy guy in KMOX explained that to you. <laughs> they'll know. They'll, oh, he did it again. Okay, well, yeah, here's what he's talking about. Here's the real truth, you know, and, and you'll get it from the specialist. Okay, so a shellac primer and an oil-based paint. Yep, yep. And that oil base, you'll still get the droplets on it. It's just a little bit hardier and, and stronger, so it's less breathable. Oil-based paints don't really let moisture come in so the, the droplets will still form on it but the oil-based paint solvent-based paint tends to uh, not react to it I, and and for example the kills type solvent paint is a good example it's that smelly stuff that that's that alcohol-based uh, primer okay okay how's that wow thank you long, <laughs> long answer to a short question aren't you glad you did that or <laughs> Anyway. No, I'm very grateful because this has been a problem for a while. And, and and I was thinking, I was like, it was something I just couldn't do, but at least this helps. Yeah. Sherry, there's a hundred or a thousand heads shaking. Hey, I got that too. You know, okay. And now I know, you know, so you're not alone. I promise. Well, thank you. And take care of yourself. All right. Take care. God bless. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Home improvement, Scott Mosby. I uh, got a little windy there, but I, I like this question and it, it, it is quintessentially st louis humidity in the summer we call it close in the winter time we call it condensation or leaking walls or the walls sweat when we come back i'm going to tell you a story about how the garage floor sweats just like this too right here on kmox wow yeah baby watch this check this watch it why we can watch it look give me a little spin you know little, oh yeah check oh white little yeah uh, yeah cloud walk all right. I'm, I'm better now. Scott Mosby here, Home Improvement. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, uh, I will finish out doing weekly shows here on KMOX through uh, New Year's Eve here and uh, 2023. Right now we're going to the phone lines and we're going to talk to Dan. Hey, Dan, Scott Mosby, how can I help you this fine Saturday? 
Scott, I wanted to tell you I was uh, dialed in this morning and I learned something. I've been putting roofs on my homes for years, and no one ever talks about the underlayment. You know, the contractors and people come out and they talk about the shingles, but they never talk about the underlayment. So I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you educating me on that. Thank you. Number two, I've just. Ooh, I just lost you here. Uh, Are you still there? Give me the last 10 seconds. Yep. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I just recently purchased a house that has a flat roof, and that's been a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting bombarded with several different options. On a uh, regular pitch roof, you got shingles. A flat roof, I'm getting bombarded with painting some type of a sealant to the point of replacing it with certain times of thick element. Mm-hmm. Uh, also to a point where I've got a company that has actually came in and talked about putting a underlayment foam and then a thin layer of some type of sealant. And I'm, I'm very confused. They all seem to give anywhere from a 20 to 30-year warranty, but it just seems like they're so different. So I thought I'd reach out to you to say, hey, what's, what am I looking at here? Okay. Uh, well, there are a bunch of options. It sounds like you've covered almost all of them. Uh, now, on a on a flat roof, uh, we have a uh, in our in our facility in Kirkwood, Missouri, Mosby Building Arts. We have a flat roof. So I've been through this. Um, there are sheet roll sheets of material. So uh, starting on the old school, basically you strip off the, the existing asphalt flat roof. Underneath that is some sort of sheet sloped um, insulation because on a flat roof your insulation really isn't inside the attic because there's no real attic volume to do that. So you put the insulation on the outside like laying a coat over the top of your house and then you put on asphalt sheets that you hot mop tar or now asphaltic compound together. So you kind of glue this thing together in one uh, what turns out to be one kind of big piece of roof. It laps up over the parapet walls on the perimeter. Those are the little things sticking up two feet or whatever. So that's the old school way to do it. Now the next one, and this is going to be a long answer, uh, the next one is instead of using tar type materials, they use a fiberglass mat. So all the uh, roll roofing material is kind of a high tech version of asphalt compound shingles. So it comes out in a big roll. They do the same thing. Uh, You can also just leave everything on your roof right as it is and then put something over the top of it. Um, and then we can, and then all of those roofing materials are available. Uh, I, they have, uh, you know, torch down, peel and stick, uh, seam weld. Uh, there's PVC or a TPO. Um, there's black rubber roof, uh, EPDM, which is like a big truck tire inner tube uh, rubber. Uh, long and the short of it is, what I wound up using was a TPO which is a sheet that's 10 feet wide and it rolls out on the roof and then they have to solvent weld or seam or glue these seams together with like a 10-inch lap and then you seam tape over the top of that. Those are typically the most expensive. They're most they're the most reliable. Um, and, and now I'm going to back off and start asking you some questions because how long has your that roof been on that house? I'm going to assume it's probably been there 30 years or more. Yeah. See, in 30 years, you've had, you know, that's over its life. Typically, uh, a hot mop roof is about 20 years. 
And um, uh, I, personally, how long are you going to be in this house? How right do you want to do this roof? <laughs> well, you know, that's that's always a, uh, a toss-up. I could be in there five. I could be in there 15 more years. Uh, I think that, and what you just explained to me is the stuff I'm most familiar with. The one thing I'm not familiar with, there is an option out there to where these companies can come in and show you that they put a, and I'm going to say a two-inch foam over the top of what's existing. Right. And then they are able to take that foam and level it and slope it. And then they come in with this spray-type function that could be an eighth of an inch over the top of that. And they make it very attractive because of the cost. Yeah. And, you know, you just look at that and you think, well, it seals it. It keeps the water out. There's no seams in it. So they do make it very attractive. So I'm kind of looking for the pros and cons on the differences. Well, there was a company called Conklin, C-O-N-K-L-I-N, who did this for many years on big structures. The advantage is you get a ton. You, you can get one inch, two inch, three inch. You can, you can put as much foam on that and slope it anywhere you want. But I will tell you, <clears throat> and when I bought this building, I paid a premium because it had a foam with a fluid-applied membrane on it. I will tell you that four years later, we stripped all that off and went back to a more traditional one because water had come in and we couldn't tell and it had rusted out some of this. So anyway, you can't, the, the, and that was my, where I was going was if, if you're going to bear the wound, you almost need to strip this roof off to really do it right and know what you have. You're going to spend a bunch of money, pull all this stuff off, inspect the sheathing, make sure there's no rot. Uh, the opportunity there is you can now add more insulation from the top down if you want to. That's even more invasive. But at that point, then you buy your new insulation, um, your boards that are engineered to slope the right direction and go to the scuppers and whatever drains you've got or back to a rear gutter. Uh, but my, my advice to you is you don't really know what you have. Um, that's a bad place to start putting money on top of not knowing. And, you know, I'm trained in emergency medical service. One of the concept is bear the wound, know what the heck you're up against so that you're treating the right thing. Well, roofing well, is we, exactly I, the same. I've had some of one of the companies or two of them actually came in and did what they said was a plug. Yeah, and, of course, sure. that, that made me kind of squeamish because they're plugging into a they're opening up another wound. So, and yeah. I've also found that over the winter time, because of the uh, the cold with the contracting, that's when I'm starting to witness more leaks. So, yeah. a, as you can see, the the spray on guys make it sound very attractive because of the price, and of course they encourage because of the the foam side on the insulation. So. You know, I guess it comes back to the old story of our parents. If you go cheap, it's going to be cheap. Yeah. Well, I'm not down on spray uh, foam roofs like that. But if you buy one, by golly, make sure you inspect that at least once a year by a, a trained professional. Um, because okay. most of those warranties, they say, well, we need to come back in order to warranty it. Well, all it takes is for one. The problem with those is a bird lands on it, pecks through it, you know, trying to break a hole. You can't tell water gets in. And that's true of any material. But that's why I like the TPO and the PVC and the big heavy sheet stuff. Birds have no attraction to that, whereas they anything else they can feel like they can get through. So the weak part of the foam roof is it's fairly delicate. Something can fall on that, and the substrate foam will crush. 
and and you breach that that seal. So that's kind of the downside of of um, a spray of applied roof. Well, and and the warranty thing, in my opinion, today, uh, as a seasoned individual out there, is also just one of those terms. What yeah. does warranty really mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> is it really going to help me? Or is it right. just going to frustrate me in 10 years? And then, <laughs> then you get into the question of what, is it, wait, what happens to the stuff that it creates yeah. internally because of the leak? Ah, it's not our problem. <laughs> yeah, amen. So it really, you're back, right. you're back to the same old consumer things, you know, just how much am I willing to pay to buy insurance to make sure I get, you know, safety, security. Yeah, well, so. that's, that's a great way to put it. Well, hey, listen, I appreciate it. That's the best explanation I've gotten so far and probably going to be okay. the best one I'll ever get. <laughs> Oh, maybe so. Probably from your father said the same thing, you know, a few years ago, too, Dan. <laughs> He's got a lot to me. I, I've learned that lesson several times. <laughs> You'd think we'd learn right, once, got... but I, so yeah, me too. All right, Dan. All thanks. right, so thank you so much for your trouble. All right, bye now. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, Cam Wicks. Uh, you know, Yogi Berra, no matter where you go, there you are. You know, well, yeah, we talk about all these whiz-bang new technologies, and bottom line is you kind of get what you pay for, and, you know, the more trouble you go looking for, the more you will find it. So as it relates to Dan or a flat roof or removing a roof or any roofing, frankly, if if I've owned the house for 20 years and I was part of putting on a roof or built it or remodeled, and I know what's underneath it. I know the plywood was good 20 years ago. You know, I can get up in the attic and look around at the underside on a slope roof, you know, that has an attic. I can look for dark colors and water stains that come through, you know, so I might know that I might be more risky. And it's like, go ahead and just cover the roof. I don't need to strip this thing off. I've lived here for two decades. I know kind of what I have. Well, that's a different level of confidence than Dan, who bought the house. He's been through it once. You know, and, and Dan made a very telling comment there that when it gets cold, it starts to shrink. Well, that suggests that there are a lot of layers of roof on there. And after you get two, three, and four recoats of, of fluid-applied material over the top of those uh, hot moth sheets, which is all good. Well, you have a bigger mass, and when it gets cold, that bigger mass moves more. And when it starts, and that's why that's another reason to strip off the roof and kind of start all over. And I promise you, it is painful. It is pr- pricey. It takes a while. You're opening the roof, and you know, then you know, when ye seek, ye shall find. Well, lo and behold. You wind up with uh, rotted roof sheathing, too. So, But those are the things that I want to know as a homeowner. I want to know, am I really safe and secure? Is my roof really as good as I think it is? Or just I, is it just ignorance is bliss? I don't know, so I'm, I'm okay with not knowing. Anyway, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. I want to thank you all uh, very much so, and especially Rich Horace, who's going to sit in the seat here starting January 1st, 2024, on the KMOX Home Improvement Show. And, uh, you know, Rich, golly, Rich and I pretty much grew up professionally together over the last 22 years, and uh, um, I learn a lot from Rich. Uh, and he says, oh, thanks, you know, love working here. and all." Well, I, you know, he's a smart guy, and I've learned a, a lot from Rich Orris. So I want to, you know, my first thanks to, to Rich. Second to you, thank you 
for this excursion for a 28-year cruise in in my life. Uh, Thanks for sharing it, and thanks for listening. Anyway, take a short pause and come back for more on KMOX. Oh, yeah, baby, here we go. Oh, a little bit of Dave Glover action here. I feel like Dave here as I'm getting at it. You know, he's a little bit crazier than me, but... uh, Ah, you know, get my medication off whack, maybe. I'm kind of like that, too. Speaking of Dave, let's talk with my buddy on the phone line here and talk with Dave. Hey, Dave, Scott Mosby here. How can I help you, my friend? Oh, pretty easy. Thanks for taking my call. Um, What I want, I heard just a few minutes ago, uh, you were talking to one of the other guests about painting and layers of paint on top of paint. And it reminded me of something that I've thought, Many times I wanted to call you and say, gee, I used to do business with your father many, many years ago. I'm up in years, and what a relationship it was. But this, the reason I really called today is about paint. Um, very good friends of mine, a husband and wife, had a very expensive brand-new home built. They moved in, and within a couple of weeks, they both became very very ill ended up at the hospital they both were diagnosed with a very rare form of environmental cancer and passed away within a month of each other Uh, immediately the hazmat people were looking to figure out from information they had got from infectious disease control at Barnes Hospital which is Washu and they found out that the house they had moved into had been subject to rain or whatever as it was being built, and there was some mold that had formed in part of the building, and that type of mold, which was rare, was not cleaned off and painted over by whatever type of paint, and the chemical reaction to the paint and the mold caused this horrible environmental air quality, which caused them to get this environmental cancer. I don't know the particulars other than that, but I do know that the hazmat people came back in and they totally took the house to the ground. Wow. And ultimately built another one. So I was just going to say to anybody and everybody that's out there that, if you're painting and if you're going to paint over something that looks like it's mold, well, I got it cleaned off good enough, or I'll just paint over it, be very careful. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where to tell the average individual to find out other than from a paint store uh, how that paint that they would be purchasing would react to molds. Yeah. Well, you can't really control. I mean, the paint, you can pick your paint. The the real disease, the problem was the mold. So once you get into a, you know, a biological threat situation, uh, which is the mold, and, you know, not all mold is nasty, but the ones that are nasty are really, really nasty, you know, terrible. Um, and and I would, I would probably 
judge that this goes back to moisture. So a lot of my world is managing moisture, and there were a lot of brand-new homes that structurally rotted out because of the way we built the house and insulated it 20, 30 years ago. We had half-million-dollar houses that literally were structurally failed in year number three because the walls were built too tight and the moisture never got out. And frankly, then the, the occupants were having indoor air syndrome. So the same thing, you're just you know citing a really nasty uh, version of that, but it happened a lot, and it has a lot to do with why I cite building science People say, well, that's building science. You just nail together two-by-fours. Well, until you trap water into a house structure and you have polyethylene on the inside and then an impervious outside surface, so you can grow all kinds of things in that Petri dish wall cavity. Yeah. yeah. Hey, well, Dave, thank I, you. God bless you. I appreciate that. I, and uh, hey, Wow. I, I appreciate your show. Like I said, I, I've been around the construction supply business and – started a company with a couple other fellows back in the 60s it's still gone growing and now we're all around the midwest and grow 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 so we're proud of that uh but it's all about life safety as much as anything and uh, the products that we sell we do our best that if it needs to meet this to be the fire code we push constantly and number one on our list is it don't matter if you sell a product and make money if you aren't making it safer and making it better for the customer and the public. And that's been our whole way of doing business for close to 60 years. And as long as I'm around, it'll always be that way. And uh, I just wanted to call you and let you know on the paint thing, uh, I've thought about it a couple times, and then you get busy. But it's something to think about that yeah. could could yeah. cause a lot of illness. Not that you would die from it, but just something to think about when you're using paint. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Thank you so much, and uh, it's kind of an honor to talk to you. Did business with my dad, and my version of patriotism, patriotism Kind of the America is just kind of you're running your business the way you do that uh, we're here to help people. And, you know, that's why we're put on earth. So God bless you. Right. And uh, it was a pleasure. And thanks again. And uh, I'll miss listening to you when you step aside. But that don't mean you can't come back once in a while and say hello as a guest on the show. Oh, that's exactly my plan. I don't I can't I can't give up it. We've we've been at this together for 28 years. I can't give you up now. (laughs) thank you so much we appreciate it okay thank you bye-bye scott mosby home improvement again uh those are those um one of the best parts of being on the radio is everybody knows where to find me um so i used to be in the home shows all the time so the the relationships that i was able to rekindle were fabulous because people would come to the home show and they'd say, you know, well, you probably don't remember me. And it's like, we went to kindergarten. He was like, what do you mean? We wet our pants together in kindergarten. Sure. I remember you, you know? So anyway, just that. And, 
you know, like Dave, uh, people out of my father's past and, and folks that raised me in this industry and are responsible for many of these questions and answers that I offer and share with you. So anyway, it's a real honor to be here. And then you put the whole storied history of Cam Wex in there. Uh, you know, I am most certainly a St. Louis native that, um, born and raised and uh, really a product of our environment. So uh, I'm very honored to be here on CAMWAX. I'm going to take a short pause and stop talking here for just a minute right here on CAMWAX. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, wrapping up, wrapping up our two home improvements, Scott Mosby, KMOX. We are live and lively here. Uh, I promised that I would uh, get into some of the heating and cooling choices. I know it's getting warmer today, starting to feel like a decent uh, day out there now, but it, a little chillier this morning. Uh, the various choices on heating. Uh, number one, uh, get your units serviced, please, because a lot of our furnaces are, um, you know, we close up our houses, we seal them up pretty tight, we, you know, close the windows and all. So I want to make sure that your house ventilates correctly uh, so that your um, uh, flu gases uh, are escaping the house as they're designed. Make sure you get your furnace checked. Have them check the flu pipe. Make sure it's exhausting and drafting properly. Uh, have them adjust any of the jets. If you're gas-fired, forced air. Uh, if you have a boiler, make sure they check the pre- temperature and pressure uh, safety uh, pop-offs so that they can relieve excessive pressure. Uh, all the thing, My point being is get it service, number one. Uh, there are various kinds of heating and cooling units. Um, first off, you, you have let's start with electric so electric has straight resistance heat just like your space heater you buy it in the store and all these infrared heaters and all that they're still just resistance heat basically you put a bunch of electric through a skinny conductor or skinny wire it becomes superheated and it gives off heat uh, as the resistance trade-off between that material and size and the current or power going through that so that's resistance heat so you might have an electric furnace. Next thing is now you've got this thing called a heat pump. So your electric furnace, normal electric furnace, has an air conditioner. Now you get to uh, you upgrade to a heat pump, which is an electric system, but all it is is an air conditioning unit that runs backwards. So an air conditioner, basically, you run a compressor. The compressor compresses the gas, it creates heat, and then the byproduct of that heat, if it's an air conditioner, it dumps the heat outside in the condenser. If it's a uh, uh, a heating season, then it dumps the heat inside the house. So whether or not that comp- you compress the gas, it creates heat, you dump it inside in the winter, you dump it outside in the in the summer to try and get rid of it, and that cools the air on the inside of the house. Then you get into geothermal. Instead of trying to, a heat pump is an air-to-air exchange. So you've got, you're trying to get rid of that heat uh, outside with the air. So you're trying to get it with the air. Well, what if you buried that in a cave that you're trying to get rid of that 120-degree pressurized tubing that normally goes to the, well, what if it's in a 60-degree cave? Well, that's more efficient. Well, so now that's geothermal where you're burying that thing and drilling wells and all that stuff. Uh, then you get to gas-fired. Gas-fired, you burn the gas, up goes the flu. You, you heat as much air as you can in the byproduct. Uh, then you have high efficiency, which basically means you, t- you run that heat around a whole bunch of times and harvest out a lot of that heat before it turns into exhaust. 
then your uh, ultra high efficiency uh, really is able to pull so much heat out of it that you're able to exhaust it horizontally through a white PVC exhaust pipe. So stay tuned here. Uh, Folks, uh, next up on KMOX, 1 p.m., your retirement professionals, 2 p.m., business of family business, right here on KMOX.